think that was. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm just so grateful that you joined us today in the middle of your busy season, that you took time out to help us dig in to the song of Mary. Would you go ahead and get that outline out? It looks like this. And follow along. Maybe grab your pen and your Bible if you brought it. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 today, just like we did last week, as we continue talking about the songs of Christmas. You know, I love taking a look close up at these songs because, you see, we get to dig into why do we sing with such soul like you just sang together. Don't you love the songs of Christmas? I do, too. And, you know, the other night I was cleaning my house, and and we just love to rock our house with Christmas music. Christmas music is deep. Well, not all of it, right? Because I was, you know, sweeping the floor and this song came on and I was trying hard to find something of meaning in this song. You know, I just kept waiting for it. But I had a hard time finding anything profound in Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. (laughs) I just couldn't find it. But, you know, it's still got its usefulness because it's great for cleaning the house. I say, turn it up and let's mop the floor. And when that song ends, we always just say, wait for it, because there's this guy at the end of the song, this old man goes, Merry Christmas. (laughs) We get a chuckle out of him. So today, let's look at Mary's song, okay? But before we dig in, we have to remember the backstory. I know you've heard it before. You might recall how Mary's life got turned upside down. When an angel named Gabriel visited her with some unimaginable news. That the three most pivotal history-shaping decades of all time were about to begin. And it would all start with a dialogue between him and this peasant girl named Mary. She was only a teenager. Maybe 12, 13, 14 years old and she was already engaged. You see, in that culture, people got engaged really early because lifespans were so short due to disease. So Mary's engaged to Joseph, but she's still a virgin. And I picture Gabriel catching up with her in some place where he might catch her alone. And he says, Mary, have I got a plan for you? What God is about to do is fantastic. Mary, God is going to send a savior to the world, and he's going to be born like a baby, a human being like everybody else. And Mary, you're going to be the mom, and you're going to have that baby without ever having sex. Can you imagine any more sensational news for a teenage girl than that? I mean, I picture Mary trying to sort out her thoughts. I'm going to have a baby, and it's going to be God, and, and I'm not going to have sex. I, I'm wondering who I can tell. I can't tell my mom. She won't believe me. I can't tell my girlfriends, and I sure can't tell Joseph. Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. You know, I, It's not your baby, and I've never had sex. And he's going to go, right. And it's like Gabriel was giving her smelling salts, you know, waking her up when he snapped her back to reality by saying, listen, Mary, do you remember your old cousin Elizabeth? Now, Elizabeth is Mary's elderly cousin. And Ron talked about Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah last week when he shared Zechariah's song. But Mary had no idea at this point what was going on with her cousin Elizabeth, except that she and Zechariah were committed dedicated servants of God, ministers, but they had never been blessed with a baby. And now they were old. And Gabriel says, Mary, 
your cousin Elizabeth, your elderly cousin, is in the middle of her own miracle pregnancy right now, Mary. Elizabeth is six months pregnant because nothing is impossible for God. And I love how Frederick Buechner describes this moment when the angel Gabriel is doing his job, when he brought this news to Mary. So I shared it with you, even on your outline. I just love this little piece of art. He says, she struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he had been entrusted with a message, so he gave it, told her what the child was to be named, who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. And as he said it, he only hoped that she wouldn't notice that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of a girl. And in Bigner's book, there's a sketch of Gabriel viewed from the rear. I don't know if you can see it, but his hands are behind his back and his fingers are crossed. And the words that Mary spoke in reply have inspired human beings for 2,000 years. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary said yes to God. I mean, she didn't have all the facts, of course. I think at this point, it was kind of a semi comprehending submission, but she said yes. Now, why did she do it? It was going to be tough. You know, in her culture, to turn up pregnant outside of marriage could potentially lead to being executed by stoning. And even if she did survive and Joseph went ahead and married her, their young married life was going to start off pretty rough. I mean, misunderstood, judged. Do you know that she and Joseph would even have to flee to another country, to Egypt, in order to protect this newborn baby from a lunatic, King Herod, who was out to just protect his throne. So why, in spite of her fears, did Mary say yes? That's what I'd like to take a look at today. And I'm so glad we get the chance to know this woman when her world got rocked. You know, most human beings, you and me included, we only get to know the surface of a person, right? As long as life is going along, status quo. But when upheaval comes, that's when the depths of a person get revealed. And I got to thinking about this when somebody was sharing with me recently some facts about an iceberg. An iceberg. Do you know that no matter how big that chunk of ice is floating in the water, that only 10% of it is visible? The real chunk of that iceberg, 90% of it is submerged. And that's a great picture of us. Because we're into image management, most of us. People see our surface, but the bulk of who we really are is submerged. It's undetectable until we get bumped, until we get challenged. And that's what happened for Mary. Her life got bumped. And Mary's real substance showed in her response to that cosmic interruption to her plans. So what equipped her to answer God's call with a yes? Well, there are some clues here. So let's go on with the story. When that angel left, Mary didn't lose any time. She took off immediately to see Elizabeth. And it was about a four, five, maybe a six-day journey. It took 80, it was 80 miles she had to go on foot. And 
By the way, don't you think that she must have just gone over and over in her mind, what just happened? Am I going crazy? Did that angel really talk to me? But when she gets there and she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby in Elizabeth's womb. Remember, she's six months pregnant. That baby leaps and gives Elizabeth a mighty kick in the ribs. Do you remember who that baby is? That's John the Baptist. And he's already doing his job before birth of announcing who Jesus is. And Elizabeth is given this insight that could only have come from God. She makes a remarkable statement here about Mary. In verse 43, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? She calls Mary blessed. And you know, it was right then that the light goes on for Mary. No longer is she afraid that she's crazy. It was no longer a semi-comprehending submission. She realizes God is in this. The light goes on and she sees it with clarity and joy. And she lets go and she starts belting out a song. And we call that song the Magnificat. It's called that because right at the very beginning is this Latin word where she says, God, I want to magnify you. You know, when you magnify something, you don't make it bigger, do you? You see it bigger. And that's what Mary wanted to do. You know, everybody magnifies something. It's part of the human condition. A workaholic magnifies his job. An alcoholic magnifies the bottle. Some people magnify money or sex or security. What do you magnify? Mary magnified the Lord. She said, God, I want to see you as big as you really are. So let's dig into Mary's song because I think that while she's magnifying God, she reveals three things, three ways that God strengthened her to accept his invitation to join what he was doing. Now, I hope you're going to bear with me. See, I have this memory problem and I have to find ways to uh, hang my memory on something. So we're going to use a device today, okay? We're going to expand on this metaphor of an iceberg. So let me ask you, what is the phrase that's so well known when you only see the surface of something? We call it the what of the iceberg, the tip. See, we're going to take a tip from Mary, T-I-P, and Mary reveals to us what is deep inside of her. The tip leads to what's deep in Mary. So let's look closely and take a tip from Mary. And hopefully you're going to remember this. Here's the T. Okay? It's on the back side of your notes. Here's what we learned from Mary. How to respond when God calls. The first thing is to take the posture of a servant. You might want to write that down. Mary calls herself a servant. Not a queen. Not a Madonna. Pay attention to how she describes herself here in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do you notice that she says, my Savior? That means Mary's not perfect. She needed a Savior. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You know, some people smarter than me told me the original language there that Mary is saying, I'm at the bottom of the bottom, a humble state of his servant. There's that word. Would you circle servant? From now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed. 
Now, who is all generations? That's us. And she's right. We do get to call her blessed. I mean, she realized that we were going to look at her through all of history as blessed. She realized that she was going to inspire us. And we get to recognize that. But even while Mary is blessed, she's first a servant. She takes the posture of a servant. You know, she took to the floor. If anybody had reason to be proud, it could have been Mary. I mean, of her son especially, right? She could have been one of those moms that's so annoying that brags on their kids, right? She could have put a bumper sticker on her donkey that said, my son created your honor roll students. Or, my son is the reason for the season. But she didn't do that because Mary was a humble servant. Okay, here's my question. Did Mary have to be a servant? Could she have said no to God's plan for her? Well, sure she could have. See, God doesn't force his will on us. He wants us to follow him out of a love for him. He, he gives us a choice. But why did she say yes? I think we can find the reason right here in this verse. She said, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Would you circle that word mindful? See, here's how Mary saw God, even while she served him. Not as a tyrant who would strike her with lightning bolts if she didn't submit, but as mindful of her. Do you, are you aware today that God is mindful of you? That just means you're on his mind. Do you guys remember that old Willie Nelson song, You Were Always on My Mind? You were always on my mind. I love Willie, but you know what? I have an answer for that song. Hogwash. You were always on my mind, Willie. Are you, are you serious? Baloney. I mean, that song is saying, you know, I may not have shown up for all of life, honey, but you were always on my mind. I'm sorry. He's a liar. He's just trying to justify not showing up. But, you know, I have to say, I love my husband, you know, but he's not always on my mind. Sorry, honey. He's not because I have to think about a lot of things, right? I love my kids, but they're not always on my mind. But listen, you are always on God's mind. There's never a moment he's not aware of you, thinking of you. In fact, he thinks about you more than you think about yourself. It says in 1 Peter, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. You are always on his mind. You know, whatever gets you uptight, God is concerned about. You don't have a single concern in your life that he is not concerned about. The way Jesus said it is, not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without him knowing about it and caring about it. And you are way more valuable to him than a bird. This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 10. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. See, that's the detail that he watches in your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of hairs in your ear, in your nose. He knows it all and he cares. And see, that's why Mary went with God's plan. Because she trusted him to be mindful of her. It was a two-way relationship. So she bowed her knee in submission 
to this God who loves her so. But there's another reason that Mary said yes, and we find it right. from the Old Testament by memory. Could you do that at 14? Could you do that now? <laughs> Me neither. Well, how did Mary do that? Well, she was immersed. She immersed herself in the word of God. And that's how that we need to get ready for the moment that we're going to be challenged. Mary knew the word. Growing up, she'd studied it. You know, I think she had studied the women of the faith, Esther, Deborah, Sarah, and a big dose of Hannah's story. But remember, in her culture, she didn't even have immediate access to the scriptures like we do, right? She would hear the words spoken. How then did she immerse herself? Well, th this is it. She memorized it. She memorized it so that when she had her own encounter with God, she had this backdrop of knowledge about who he was. And then the words that came out of her mouth when she broke into song were the words of scripture because she was so steeped in it. See, that's what empowered her to fulfill her purpose. If you want God's power in your life, you need to be immersed. Now, think about it this way. What about in athletics? What if there was a young kid who was an up-and-coming baseball player, and he was so inspired by watching Madison Bumgarner on the field? You know, what an athlete, the most valuable player of, of the World Series. Sports Illustrated has named him Sportsman of the Year. And what if this kid admired him so much that he decided that when he's out playing his game, you know, he's going to be Bumgarner. So he decides that, you know, he's going to, emulate his unique pitching style, that he's going to wear the same cleats when he's playing his game. Well, is that kid going to be successful like Bumgarner? Well, we all know the answer. He's not if all he does is try to be like his hero in the game. Why? Because Bumgarner didn't achieve excellence by trying to behave a certain way just in the game, did he? He made life choices. He committed himself to preparation of mind and body. You know, he poured himself into training and into diet, into exercise, into study when no one was watching. And that's like you and me. You know, it's, it's not going to be in the game that you and I get ready. How did Mary do it? She got ready before game time, before things got crazy. She studied. She got immersed and saturated in what God had revealed about himself. You need to be ready by being immersed. It says in Psalm 119 that your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Did you know that one day there, you're going to need some light for the dark journey ahead, just like Mary did? And you're going to be holding that light if you've immersed yourself in the word. Now, when we look at Mary's song, we find yet another tip for how to respond when God calls. And here's the P. Are you ready? Ponder God's grace. 
The word grace, it sounds so sweet. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But you know what? This isn't sweet, sentimental stuff that Mary is writing. This stuff that she's pondering is revolutionary. It's dangerous. It's even unnerving. I found out that in Guatemala in the 1980s, that this prayer was actually banned from public reciting because it was considered to be politically subversive. Can you imagine if Mary knew that her words would rock a whole government, that they'd be afraid people might want justice? Listen to what she says in 51. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. What's she saying? What's the deal about being hungry or being rich? I mean, I want him to fill me with good things. What would it be like for God to send you away empty? Well, you know, just for discussion, Forbes magazine puts out a list every year of the most powerful people. Makes you feel pretty miserable about yourself, really. Here's how the article started. There are 7 billion people in the world. These are the 70 that matter. Now, I didn't see your name on the list either. But when ranking the people who really matter in our world, there were several things that Forbes took into consideration. Here they are. How many people does the person have power over? What financial resources do they control? And how actively does the candidate wield their power? Those are their criteria for being a person that matters. Now, here's Mary. How did she measure up? She had no power, no influence, no money, no resume. If there was a list of the least powerful people, she might have had a chance. But here's the tip for you and me. She makes God's list. She makes God's list of the highly favored. Why? Well, Mary says it's because God turns the standards of men on their heads. Some have called it the great reversal. He's not looking for impressive people. He's looking for a hunger for him. Mary's heart was bursting with this realization that God is not all about merit. He is about grace. In fact, he scatters those who raise themselves up in pride. He loves to take, have mercy on the people who are underdogs, who call on his mercy. He exalts them. That's what it means to be hungry. Do you know, I find it so not me to be hungry for God. And you know, I've been finding out recently that Psalm 86 is just helpful for me to meditate on. You might want to look that up later. Helpful to keep me hungry for the Lord. But when you're hungry, you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt, that there's really nothing impressive about you at all. She sings in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him. Well, what does it mean to fear God? Fearing God doesn't mean to be scared that he'll strike you dead or make your life miserable. It means pondering him with awe. It means redirecting your focus. 
acknowledging who he is, being done with your navel gazing, you know, being all preoccupied by looking at yourself with pride. In our culture, especially, people get enamored by their own performance, their own power and possessions, thinking, how am I doing? You know, am I worthy yet? It's countercultural, God's grace. You know, actually, I find it to be counter Kim. There's a lifelong wrestling match in me, to be honest, with this continual pursuit of merit. Last week, I was at a traffic light, and I got to give something to a homeless man. Yay. I was glad I was there, and I had something that could be of use to him. But, you know, sitting right there in the traffic, I was uh, being followed in the next vehicle by some friends. We were on our way together somewhere. And I found that in that moment that a voice came crashing into my head. It was my old nature yelling at me. And it said, oh, I bet they will see this and think how generous Kim is. Yuck. I was right back into performance. You know, I can do nothing. Nothing to earn God's mercy. It's only his grace towards me. It's unnerving, really, this grace stuff. You know, grace teaches that the nicest, most decent people, the people with connections, are every bit as lost as the prostitutes and the pimps. And if you're a prostitute or a pimp and you come to him, that you become a prophet and a priest before him. That's grace. So there's a warning for us here in Mary's pondering. No wonder the gospel is so unpopular. His mercy is for those who humble themselves and turn from ego-boosting stuff like doing good things and accumulating wealth and position, and they turn instead to grace. Ponder it. The grace of God is like the wind of that storm we had last week. I, I loved standing outside with my dog in the street in the middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, trying to keep my balance because I was kind of sleepy. But, you know, I, I felt and I watched the rain pelt against the rocks and get the earth all wet. And I listened. Do you remember the sound of the wind in the pine trees? Well, Mary's song says... That God's grace is like a wind that is blowing. It's available for you and it's up to you as to whether it's going to whisk you to incredible places. Into the arms of God. Or whether it's going to drive you against the rocks. You get to decide. Like Mary, will you admit to God that you're at the bottom and allow him to lift you up? Ponder his amazing grace. So Mary's song has so much in it. I'm grateful for the tips that we get from Mary. You know, she shows us how to take the posture of a servant, how to immerse ourselves in the word of God, and how to ponder his grace. But, you know, I don't think that Mary just sang this song once to Elizabeth. I think she continued to use the words of the Magnificat as she encountered trial after trial in her future. You know, John Ortberg brought this to life for me. When I got to hear him share how this might have gone, I think that Mary probably used this song as she trained up her little boy, Jesus. I picture her 
sitting down and pulling him as a toddler right onto her knee. And you know, eventually, when you sing your song over and over to someone you love, eventually it's, it's not just your song, it's our song. I, I remember that when I was a little kid. My dad wrote a song for me. Do you want to hear it? It was about our dog, okay? His name was Snuffy. He was a poodle. He was a pain in the rear, but we loved him. He would chew stuff, okay? That's your background on my song, okay? It goes like this. Snuffy is a friend of mine. He's a winner every time for a nickel or a dime. 15 cents for overtime. Sometimes he costs me way too much for toys and things and clothes and such. My mom says he's not worth the price, but we all think he's very nice. Yeah, it's kind of a silly little weird song, but you know what? It was special because it was our song. And I think for Jesus that this song of his mom's became their song. You know, I think he would say, sing it again, mommy, that, that song about my father. And I think he'd sing it with her and he would listen to her tell the story about his birth and how she did a hard thing when God asked her to. And how she told God, let it be to me according to your word. And I think Jesus would get real quiet when he heard her tell about how much she had given up for him. But she would say, it's okay, son. And one day, if he asks you to do a hard thing, maybe you will. And you can remember how you were born. And you can remember that you can trust your father. Because he's always been faithful, even to your mom when she was a scared young girl. And you know, eventually, Jesus became that song. I mean, when you think about it, he really was that song come to life. Like years later, when he was on a grassy hillside in front of masses of people, he would preach the greatest sermon ever. And I wonder if he was remembering his mom's song, where, where it says that his father scatters the proud, but he exalts the humble. Because he told those people, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about those who are hungry for God. And I wonder if he thought, Mom, I'm singing our song. And then there would come the day when he was out in the desert by himself just to meet with his father. And he found himself face to face with the devil who was tempting him to give it all up for the sake of glory and a piece of bread. But because Jesus had immersed himself in the words of scripture, he, he just kept quoting scripture back at that devil, quoting it. You know, his father's words were Jesus' greatest arsenal, prepared him for his mission. And I bet in the back of his mind, he thought about how his mom's life and her song was just dripping with the words of scripture. And I wonder if he thought, mom, I'm singing our song. And then the day would come when he was praying in a garden in the shadow of a cross and his father did ask him to do a hard thing, will you take on yourself the weight of sin, the death of the world, so forgiveness and love can begin the great reversal? I picture how he pondered for a moment and then he declared those familiar words that he had learned on his mama's lap. He said, Father, I'm, I'm your servant, not my will, but yours be done. And I wonder if he thought, Mom, I'm singing our song. I said yes to a hard thing. It says in Philippians that he made himself nothing. 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that so your life could be a song. You may be thinking today, you may be preoccupied by a a challenge you're facing in your life. Maybe a problem or a journey before you that just seems dark. And you might want, want to say, Kim, my life does not seem like a song. But could it be that the Father is asking you to do a hard thing and trust him? See, God wants to make your life a joyful, eternally significant, painfully magnificent life. But it might mean accepting from his hand, like Mary did, something that at first may seem unwelcome. It could be that the worst thing we could ever imagine may turn out to be the best thing. Or maybe God's call to you today is not in the form of a crisis or a challenge. Maybe you just realize that you hold in your hand something that you could share with someone else who has a need. Maybe it's your home or your your friendship, or your money, your resources. But you realize it's going to cost you something. You know, whatever opportunity you have before you, we're coming to a moment to think about it. So Aaron's going to come along with Dave and Jonathan, and we're going to let them share a song with us. And this is your opportunity to get quiet before God, to ponder along with Mary, how you might respond to God, how you might trust him. You know, you might just want to ask him, Lord, help me to see this with heaven's eyes. You might want to say to him, Lord, I'm just going to invite you not just to be born in Bethlehem, but to be born in me. Make this your moment to consider saying yes to God.
I'm so grateful for a songwriter that would capture that way. How we can be like Mary. I'm thankful for Aaron and Dave and Jonathan sharing that beauty with us. Right now is our moment to turn it into a prayer. So would you bow your head and let's talk to the Lord. Lord, we're just grateful for the Bible and that we get to hold in our hands your word. And I pray that like Mary, we move beyond that and hide it in our hearts. And that we would turn what we've heard today from Mary into action, Lord. We welcome you. We welcome you within, within our own lives. And Lord, we come from so many different places. And right now, I just want to pray for the person in this room, maybe watching or listening online, who is hurting today, who is feeling confused who just doesn't get what's going on. And I just want to pray, Lord, for your courage for him or for her. Lord, that they would have the courage to magnify you instead of the turbulence that they're seeing all around them. And Lord, that you'd help them to just say, like Mary did, let it be, Lord, as you have said, and to trust you with the outcome. And Lord, we all hear Mary's song so clearly today that you are not looking for us to be impressive to you or to anyone else. And we just want to bring to you our gratitude that Jesus, you paid the price that we could please God the Father in his holiness. What amazing grace. That really is a sweet sound. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can stand before you today as Mary did, smiling at the future because you are faithful and we can trust you. And now we're going to hold on to how you answer this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.